This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it! Give me a vacation! Vacation! Give me a wave! Surfing! Give me a city tour! The trolley! Give me animals! The zoo! Give me some sea life! <laughs> Give me museums! Park. Give me a woo! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I mean, in like the early 200s, we were like the hippie capital of the world. I think Rolling Stone called us the freak capital of the world. And uh, I think we've lost a little bit of the freak, sadly. Yeah. Hello and welcome to Savor. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. On our recent trip to Asheville, we heard so much enthusiasm and love for the city from the people who we spoke with. And we felt it too. It was pretty infectious. These episodes, by the way, are in no way sponsored or paid for by the city of Asheville or its tourism board. Uh, Part of our mission here on Savor is to travel to interesting places and share with y'all what makes those places interesting and what we might learn from the lives and lifestyles of the people who live there. If it sounded advertorial at times, that's because we found a lot there to be praised. But, of course, not everything we heard was all mac and cheese and frothy beer. Asheville, as a city that's booming because of its restaurants and breweries, is sort of a microcosm for everything the American food and beverage industry is dealing with in general, good and bad. In this episode, we wanted to discuss some of those issues and, as part of that, what it means to be counterculture. Yeah, what does that mean? That quote at the top was from beer historian Anne Fittenglen. While Asheville might have lost some of its freak, it has not lost the reputation for it. We talked about that a little in our overview of Asheville episode, how we, along with super producer Dylan, had these preconceptions of Asheville as a crunchy, hippie haven. Which, to be fair, they 
embrace. That drum circle that y'all blessedly did not make me go to shows up in a lot of their marketing. You're just lucky we had a very limited window for that (laughs) pinball museum. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, pinball over drum circles any day. I agree. I wish we could have done both, but... Hey, both are percussive. That's true. (laughs) I had considered that. Um, We didn't make it to the drum circle, but we saw plenty of evidence of this hippie-ish-ness. I mean, my goodness, our Airbnb. We haven't shared this detail with y'all yet. I think we mentioned that's like Zen rock gardens that it had, but it also had this mixed-media mural above the carport, which was like front and center when you came up the driveway, of the eyes of Buddha, sometimes called the wisdom eyes or the omnipresent eyes. These are big and colorful and apparently found on every Buddhist temple in Nepal and also on this carport. Yeah, every Lyft driver that picked us up asked if this it was some kind of retreat or something. Uh-huh. <laughs> Here's Ann Fitton again. You know, I do have numerous hippie friends who are well-educated, interesting people who have gone into farming or distilleries or breweries, things that used to be um, much more blue-collar type of careers. Warren Wilson College, which is in Swannanoa, is uh, kind of a hippie haven college. It's one of those work-study colleges, and often students will go there and they'll learn a trade there, such as plumbing or cultivation, and then they'll stay in the area. So there is definitely a little of that kind of crunchy hippie aesthetic, which is fun. The legacy of Asheville's crunchy nature got its start in the 1960s. Makes sense to me. When else? Mm -hmm. Here's a local historian, Kevin Frazier. In the late 60s and early 70s, we had folks move into Asheville out of places like Northern California, you know, the so-called flower children, hippie movement and all that. And they were drawn to Asheville for a couple of reasons. One, frankly, it was cheap to be here. And so for young folks looking for a place to be, and maybe they were artists or maybe they were interested in farming or whatever they were interested in, this sort of jived and and worked well for them. What Ann Fitton and Kevin are talking about here is the counterculture movement that came up in the 1960s of mostly white people from mostly middle-class backgrounds who have access to education and money and who use that to promote these anti-capitalist, anti-industrial, pro-environment, pro-mindful living ideas and ideals. And we did hear time and time again from the folks who we were interviewing that a big reason they moved there was because of that vibe and because it's the sort of vibe that they wanted to bring up their children in. And the vibe definitely shaped the food and drink scene in the city to make this unique, creative, artistic, healthy, crunchy food scene. Its weirdness depends on Ashevillians being willing to participate in it. To care about who you're supporting, whether your money is going to people who support your causes both in word and in deed. And there's a whole sense of community around it, and this lends itself to an awareness of social issues that cannot be separated from the food we eat and the drinks we drink. So we wanted to talk about those today, issues of opportunity and access faced by women, people of color, immigrants, and folks with lower incomes. One of these issues is a lack of people of color, especially in positions of power, in the food and beverage industry. We talked about this a lot in our old episode on tipping, uh, gratuity in restaurants, because the American gratuity system is based in post-emancipation racism and classism, 
To hear all about that, check out the episode. It's from December of 2017, and it's called The Not-So-Gratuitous Tipping Episode. But, okay, a quick yet pertinent takeaway from that. There is a $4 per hour wage gap between white workers and workers of color in the restaurant industry at large due to the types of jobs that each tend to get. Workers of color are more likely to be in lower-level positions at lower-cost restaurants. And racial discrimination and tipping only exacerbates this inequality. And in Asheville, representation of people of color is perhaps particularly stark. As we mentioned in our beer episode, as of 2017, the city was 82% white. This is unusual for a southern city, if not necessarily an Appalachian city. Kevin discussed some of the history behind this. So, you know, inherently, Asheville has a smaller African-American population, even going back to mid-19th century history. And part of that had to do that there was not significant plantation agriculture in Western North Carolina just because of the landscape. Unlike the eastern part of North Carolina where they had these gigantic farms. But that does not mean there was not slavery in Western North Carolina. That becomes a, a, a real misunderstanding. And I think sometimes people want to sort of skip that and be like, oh yeah, we somehow, we're better than that. No, no, as a region, we have not been better than that. And there were, were slaves. But the number was smaller, and that has definitely been part of that inheritance. That said, though, after the Civil War, we were a very popular city for freedmen to relocate to. They were drawn to Asheville looking for new opportunities. But one of the challenges that we're very concerned about is some of our key areas that have begun to see more recent revitalization or new development are adjacent to historically African-American neighborhoods. And so the gentrification that wraps around that is very much a concerning thing for us in Asheville because we don't want success to come create failure for somebody else, not of their own doing either. That's a lot of the conversation today about how do we balance those things in Asheville. I think it's something in in meetings, things around town, we are talking about how do we as a city make sure that it is clear that we are a welcoming city for anybody to find what they're looking for in Asheville. But I think fundamentally, cities that aren't welcoming will become irrelevant. This particular question of how welcoming Southern and Appalachian cities are to Black and African Americans lies in parallel to the inclusion of other people of color, of folks of all sorts of descents, whether their families have been here for generations or whether they are recent immigrants to the United States. We spoke with Marwan Arani, the CEO and chef of the Chai Pani Restaurant Group and a first-generation immigrant from India. Marwan was quick to express the stark difference between the history and experience of folks like himself in contrast to that of Black people in America and the South. He said that comparing the two directly is unconscionable. And I was actually really afraid I'd ruin the interview for a minute by asking him about his experience as a generalized person of color, but it turned out okay. Um, And beyond or building on that difference that he talked about, he did say that he sees a shift taking place all across the South. Marijuana describes himself as a storyteller just as much as a restaurateur. And in his experience, Asheville embraces stories. What is really interesting to me um, is, and, and, and a reflection of this conversation has been happening in this series that I'm doing called Brown of the South, the separate series, is that the South is changing dramatically and quickly. There's myself, there's Asha Gomez, uh, Vishenpat, Manit Chauhan, Chidi Kumar, 
uh, Farhan, Sam. I mean, I'm naming Indian chefs, the chefs of Indian origin, that have their restaurants and are doing amazing things in the South. Not in San Francisco, not in L.A., not in D.C., not in New York, but in small towns in the South. Nashville, Asheville, Birmingham, Oxford, Mississippi. Um, you know, the fact that we're not just doing well or succeeding, but flourishing and being acknowledged for what we're doing, to me, is indicative that even what we think of as the South is changing. It's not all happening at the same time, and it's not happening everywhere. But for me, even a town like Asheville is a little bit of a blueprint for what I'm calling the New South is going to look like. Um, immigrants are coming here. Um, there's economic opportunities. It's affordable. Housing is affordable. Labor costs are affordable. You know, Lexington, Kentucky is jokingly referred to as Mexington, Kentucky, because it's the large Latino population that's starting to uh, come to the South, and, and I think it's awesome and amazing and probably scary for some people, but, you know, it's a change. So my daughter, you know, she looks just like me. Um, she's been here since she was two years old, and as far as she's concerned, if you were to ask her, where are you from, she'll say from the South. And I think 20 years from now, it won't be so unusual for someone that looks like me or some variation of black or brown to say I'm from the South and it to be completely natural and normal. But whether we're personally, individually welcoming is only one part here. There's another piece to this conversation that often gets left out. Food writer Mackenzie Lunsford has covered the Asheville food scene for 13 years, so she's witnessed the transformation of the city and the social issues that have dogged it. We have a lot of issues um, with people finding good uh, employees, which is, of course, not not limited to Asheville. Everyone's having a hard time finding good help. And uh, yeah, wage issues, things like that are the types of things that I write about a lot. Um, we have a we have a very thriving, very involved Latinx community, and they are making themselves very present uh, in in a very very good, active, strong way. When and people are making space for them, like people are yes, there were ice raids uh, here in Asheville uh, f- uh, a couple of months ago, and I mean even undocumented Latinx folks came out to pack groceries for the people who were hiding in their homes and members, other members of the community came and helped them um, at a place called Beloved House, which has dedicated itself as a sanctuary. It has been disturbing to this this community to see those those raids go on. And and obviously uh, the immigrant population has a huge hand in the food that we eat from the fields to the table. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you for speaking to it because it is such a, I think people just don't think about it. I think you're right. I think people don't think about it. And, and it, it <laughs> you may hear that I am getting a little bit angry over it too. I mean, look, I understand laws and I understand that we have a need to uphold laws, but we also need to take a gentle and open-minded look at how important immigrants are to our society. Uh, as a whole, and then little pockets within our society, like the restaurant business, the, you know, the look around the skyline of Asheville, there are hotels being built everywhere, and they're being built on the backs of immigrants. They're being uh, cleaned by immigrants. They're being, you know, run by immigrants. I mean, they make the world go around, and especially a tourist-based economy like Asheville. It's 
you know, important sector of our society. It's the, the agriculture side of things. Um, we are a huge apple growing region, especially in Hendersonville, outside of Asheville a little bit. And we had farmers whose apples were falling off their trees and rotting in the fields because they went once immigration laws have, have been tightened, you know, and, and work visas are a little bit harder to secure. And there is a fear element. And I had farmers who were saying, I have product just dying and there's no one to pick it. What do you think that turns into? I mean, do you think that we're all just going to have to get used to paying an actual fair price for tomatoes? That's another part of the conversation, right? I mean, we are so dependent on cheap labor. This society is so dependent on cheap labor. The South was built on slave labor, you know, and sometimes I feel like we've barely gotten away from that. Let me share a couple more facts from our tipping episode, which is still probably the most angry I've gotten recording an episode. Oh, yeah. of chefs in America are men, and men also hold about 79% of management positions in the restaurant industry. This means that men hold more of the guaranteed minimum wage and higher paid positions as compared to women, and especially women of color. Mackenzie came up through the restaurant industry, from dishwashing, through line cook, through chef and restaurant owner, before settling completely into journalism. So she was able to speak to these issues from multiple facets. Women in the restaurant business, I mean, we do have, Asheville has a top female chef. I mean, you've heard about, like, Lee Katie Button over at Curse as She gets quite a lot of attention um, for our city, and rightly so. She's talented, and those restaurants are very good. Um, But I struggle to think of women in the restaurant industry when somebody asks me, for example, I'm judging a, a competition soon, and I'm often the only woman at these tables, you know, and and the organizer asked me if I could recommend some women in the restaurant industry, and I thought of a few, but they're fairly few and far between. Now, now, do I think that's a local thing? No, I don't. And I have noticed a lot more women in, in the kitchen since my time in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my time in the kitchen, I, I was paid less than, than others, uh-huh. and I'm certain of that, and it was... Not a problem for me at all because I was one of those people who was a little bit, I don't know, assertive. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think you have to be if you're going. I mean, yeah. if you're going to be in the food industry at all, probably, but especially as a woman. One more fact for you: the restaurant industry has the highest rates of reported sexual harassment in the country. In a 2014 survey, 90% of restaurant workers, both male and female, said that they had experienced sexual behavior in the restaurant industry that's scary or unwanted. And since 70% of servers are women, they bear the brunt of this. It wasn't an issue for me, but I know that other women in the restaurant industry have faced issues of sexual harassment. I mean, it's not limited to the kitchen. Um, It's probably worse in the front of the house uh, because you have people who come in to 
eat and spend money and then they I've had a lot of conversations about this with local restaurant people and yeah people come in to eat and they feel as though they own a piece of you for a little while and sometimes they act accordingly and I know that that Curse, uh, which we were just talking about has ejected a, a customer for touching staff members awesome. which is great yeah. yeah and and they don't stand for that crap I mean they they're very, very forward-thinking over there at Curate. They have an HR department. They have systems in place so that people can report things when they happen anonymously without fearing for their jobs. But not many restaurants have those sort of structures in place. And we live in a town full of very small independent restaurants without HR departments. So, you know, draw your own conclusions. It, it, it is. It's part of a national and probably global culture that is changing, Mm -hmm. but way more slowly. Certainly the mentality has changed. It's just such an ingrained culture, kind of unfortunately. Or totally unfortunately, rather. I'll go full speed ahead. (laughs) That sucks, that's not great. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that having been said, I do have to add that you know, this does seem like a respectful space. Asheville is very progressive. And so that, that works out in our favor. I mean, again, I'm not saying that that eliminates sure. sexual harassment, but I would say that in general, the chefs and restaurant people who I know are a fairly enlightened bunch. It's kind of hard going into interviews sometimes as an infotainment podcaster, or it's easy in some ways because you're excited about the work that people are doing and they get to share what they're excited about. But, and I think I speak for the whole team here, we worry sometimes that we're only getting the bright side of the story. And, I mean, we're not Barbara Walters. You know, we do try to ask meaningful questions, but sometimes you only have 30 minutes with someone. Sometimes you only have 10. We were lucky on this trip to have time and to have people who are part of this community because they are reflexive and open. And working in this industry is rough. We need to talk about mental health in the food industry. And we'll get into that after a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! 
Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So, the sort of things Mackenzie was describing. It was wonderful to hear and see and feel that sort of care and respect being spoken to. But it's bittersweet that as pleasant as it was to hear, it was still a pleasant surprise. The restaurant industry is hard on folks. This is something I've seen personally. Growing up, my father worked as a chef for most of my childhood and young adulthood. And it's something that was really made public back in June when Anthony Bourdain committed suicide. Yeah, so mental health and substance abuse. It's an ongoing discussion within the food industry. And this is something Mackenzie has written about as well. The restaurant industry itself does kind of lend itself to a culture where you're taking advantage (laughs) of the mind-altering substances around you more often. Um, I think that one of the chefs in that article that I wrote about substance abuse um, after, in, in the wake of Anthony Bourdain's suicide, one of the chefs mentioned that most people who work regular schedules, when they get off work, there are a lot of things open. There are churches, there are, you know, there are grocery stores, there are lots of wholesome places to go. Um, But when you get off of work at midnight, there are only a few places that are open and they are not churches. So, you know, when you get off at midnight and you're wound up because you've been, you know, cooking for hundreds of tourists, you're, you're probably going to go get a pint of beer and follow that with more. So, and then heavy drinking lends itself to anxiety, which lends itself to more drinking. So you get in this kind of catch 22. I mean, the restaurant business is intense and it'll drive anybody to drink. I mean, (laughs) trust me. Uh, yeah, and it's and it's also part of the you know like you want to try everything and mm-hmm. and it's it's almost rude to turn down your your colleagues to to yeah. say to say like oh no you know like I'm not gonna try this product that you just made that you've been caring about for the past few months or few years yeah. even. I also think that like I was saying, alcohol can lead to anxiety. There's a lot of of mental health issues that spring up when you're living a very opposite life from most people, when you're working on weekends and you're working on holidays and you're working at night and that sort of thing. Um, That can lend itself to depression as well. So there are a lot of things involved in the restaurant industry that when, when combined create fertile ground for substance abuse, mental health issues, that sort of thing. These kinds of mental health, substance abuse issues, uh, sexual harassment, deep, serious topics are, are kind of on the table right now in our culture in general, and they're difficult to ignore. And I think a lot of, a lot of chefs and restaurant owners are looking internally, and some of them are setting up systems. I mean, I mentioned Katie Button from Curte has a program where they do pay for their employees to go get counseling. Wow. 
Oh, that's great. Um, several times, and uh, they also pay for partner of any kind, you know, a roommate to go with them as well. So that's a really great way to address us, a step, step in the right direction. And also, there are, <laughs> I see a lot of restaurants trying to act more like the legit businesses that they are. And it's less of a pirate ship culture these days and more of a, this is a business and we are professionals. And, and I think that may go hand in hand with the rise of celebrity chefs kind of validating in a way restaurant business as a profession. And, yeah. and people are taking a look at how they're running things and kind of shaping up a little bit. We certainly hope so. We do. And we've seen folks around the world band together in these conversations, especially in the wake of Bourdain's death. To learn more or get help, a great resource is chefswithissues.com. There may even be a support group in your area. There's one here in Atlanta that I'm hoping we'll get to speak with soon. In the meanwhile, let's expand our view from the food industry itself to the larger issue of nutrition and food security. Asheville is also trying to find ways to deal with hunger in the region. According to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, 11.8% of American households were food insecure as of 2017. This means that those households lacked access to enough food to provide an active, healthy life for all of its household's members. And this can be due to a number of factors, from poverty and job security to whether or not you have easy access to a grocery store or some other outlet that sells fresh proteins and fresh vegetables. North Carolina was one of the 11 states that came in worse than the national average at 14.4% food insecurity. It's a national problem, but something that local people are coming together to solve. Here's Stu Helm, an Asheville food critic. Um, One thing that people may be very surprised about is that Asheville is in the middle of a part of the country that has one of the worst rates of hunger, especially uh, food insecurity, people who don't know where their next nutritious meal is coming from. That's a big issue in North Carolina, Western North Carolina. And so there's a lot of charities that try to distribute food. There's Mana Food Bank. There's uh, Welcome Table, which is run by the Haywood Congregation, and they feed about 1,000 people a week a free meal. And all of the restaurants participate in Welcome Table. So, like, literally the best restaurants in town will be cooking a meal at the Haywood Congregation for all of the people to enjoy. And um, also there's a great one called Food Connection that's run by a local organization called Dig Local. And they are, Dig Local is an app and you use it to find out what's happening every day in Asheville. But they have a a charity called Food Connection, and what they do is they work with caterers and restaurants. When they have leftover food at the end of the night that's still hot and still good, they wrap it up, call a taxi, and the taxi brings it to a shelter. We've talked about this spirit of collaboration in Asheville, and that extends out to helping folks. Jail Radigan, CEO of French Broad Chocolate, shared her experience with this. One of my favorite examples of collaboration uh, in the restaurant industry is an organization that serves meals to people who need to eat every week. Um, It happens at a church. It's called the Welcome Table. And everybody's welcome, no questions asked. There's no religious agenda. Um, But it's a project that is filled with community and love and dignity. Rather than being set up as like a soup kitchen line, people sit down at a table and they're served a meal by volunteers and they get to enjoy food and each other's company. 
Um, and there was a, a local restaurant in town that established an initiative for the local restaurants to participate in that project. Um, so a lot of us, I don't even know how many it is, how many restaurants are participating, but um, we either partner with another restaurant or a restaurant handles it themselves and we feed, you know, 500 people in a day. Oh, wow. um, and it's not anyone's pet project. It's, it's a collaboration and it wouldn't be successful without everybody's contribution and participation. Asheville is looking into other creative ideas to combat hunger as well. Stu told us about one such venture championed by farmer Sunil Patel. He has a company called Patchwork Urban Farms, and he works with people who have large front or back or side lawns that live in the urban area, and he will come and assess your property for farming. And then his people will come and till the soil, plant the plants, harvest the plants, give you a portion of the uh, produce, give a large portion of it to free to neighborhoods that have limited access to fresh food, and then sell the rest to restaurants. And this relates to something else that Asheville is working on, sustainability. We'll get into that after one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at San Diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. Sustainability and reducing food waste, the whole head-to-tail movement. It's a movement taking place on a national level as well, but Stu put it this way. It's a trend and a, a belief and an ideology that has become so ingrained in the Asheville food scene that's just part of our scene now. 
It's so much part of the scene that there is a whole company devoted to helping restaurants legally ferment and pickle things that would otherwise go to waste. But it's also so much part of the scene that, according to Jamie Ager, a fourth-generation farmer over at Hickory Nut Gap Farm, that it's in some ways circled around to being problematic again. Take, for example, the trend of serving weird parts. They're not going to waste, yay, but... It's funny because some chefs want to feature a local item, and so they'll, they want to do like an appetizer like piggy ears or something like that, which is great. But it's also like, wait... You can't just buy pig ears. Like that, we also have other <laughs> items too. <laughs> like there is sort of this whole movement towards using the whole animal, which is great. But it's like all of a sudden, pig ears become the most valuable piece on the animal, and you're like, this is. We we still have to move the whole pork chop and everything else too. So uh, that was a funny moment when we were like, that guy just all he wants is pig ears. Like okay, well, what do you do about that? Which, I guess, brings us to a pressing question, our original question from the top of this episode. Can weirdness last? In a town based on supporting local, on being conscious, on staying weird, once you start marketing that, once tourists come in and the population starts expanding, is it sustainable? Or does it just become a marketing ploy for big business? Here in our home base of Atlanta, it's on our minds a lot. The folks we spoke with in Asheville noted the change that's happening, but they were pretty hopeful about it. Here's Rhett Murphy and Chris Bauer from Etta Rhine Distillery. I think that there's been good and bad with the changes, and there's been a lot of, like, blooming entrepreneurship that wouldn't be allowed in a place that wasn't flourishing, and a lot of people get to follow their dreams here and do really cool stuff because we do have a lot of growth here. And Yeah, I think that... Uh, you know, life is about adapting to change. And uh, I've seen it go a lot worse in, in other places than it has in Nashville. Again, I think it's because of the people here that have sort of helped guide and build the city and the surrounding counties. Jamie talked about those opportunities to guide and build, in not just your business, but the industry as a whole. You know, when we first started, we were thinking about grass-fed beef and how we can do a good job raising these cattle and focusing on better systems for cattle and hogs and raising hogs outside and developing those systems. But what's exciting to me is that we can not only, you know, have a neat little story here at the farm, but also because we've done the hard work of marketing and branding and sales, which drives business, um, that we've been able to really think about how do we change agriculture and the, and the way people think about food in a much more comprehensive manner. How do we change farming and how do we rethink how farmers produce? Because like feedlots and all the big agriculture stuff came about just because of the business opportunity that was there and somebody started figuring it out. And, and so now people, you know, there's a whole nother generation of people asking questions about how does this get done? How do we sort of understand the impact of our eating when I eat a steak or some hamburger or something? What, what does that look like all the way through back to the farm, back to the environment? And that's, those are not questions that people have historically pushed on. And so now it's like, well, let's, let's give that all that consideration, which is a big thing. We all eat and drink. We're all connected in that way. It's a shared experience, and there are human stories behind these experiences. It's good to remind ourselves of that, I think. 
the better the food industry is for those working within it and for the planet, the better for all of us. As consumers, we can push for change. Here's Jamie again. There's more to sort of just an item on the shelf. You know, like there's a story back there. There's a people back there. And we all impact each other. And the sort of old paradigm of regulating the correct behavior is ineffective and obsolete to some degree. And so we've got to find a way to build accountability and integrity and all the things that we want with food, with products, all that kind of stuff. Consumers are driving that at the end of the day all day long. And that matters. And so their buying choices matter. We can't take the humanity out of food. It's part of our history and a part of our future. We'll leave the last word for Merwan. I find that the history of food is inseparable from the history of humanity. I mean, almost everything we've done as a species uh, are you know, settling down into small societies instead of being nomadic, moving away from hunter-gatherer into more of an agricultural lifestyle. Um, our settlements on the banks of rivers or shores or, or near mountains or valleys, uh, our civilizations, our wars, our explorations, uh, Columbus sailing to find you know, the Americas, it's all been driven by food, by looking for it, by you know, finding new sources for it, by finding new experiences and flavors. And food and, and along with that sort of religion, you know, which the two are go so intertwined that, you know, you can't separate the two. Um, when you study food and you, and you study the history of food, you realize you study the history of who humans are and, and how we got to where we got today. And, and even now, I mean, I believe that food is culturally shaping us. I mean, I think, you know, whether it's Instagram or social media or delivery services or the latest in technology, it still always seems to find a way to center around food. So, yeah, that, that would be my sort of takeaway thought. <laughs> Ours, too. Yeah, that's a pretty good takeaway thought. And speaking of thoughts, if you'd like to get in touch with us, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is hello at saverpod.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at SaverPod. We really do hope to hear from you. Thank you to all of our guests today and to Landis Taylor and the whole team over at ExploreAsheville.com for helping us find them and our co-executive producer, Christopher Hasiotis, for helping us find them. Thanks, as always, to super producer Dylan for making our jobs easy and our other co-executive producer, Julie Douglas, for all of her good advice. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. 
Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 